Hello plantpreneurs and welcome to series two of the plant-based business podcast brought to you by Feevolution. In this show we explore what it takes to create and scale a plant-based business. I'm your host Damien Clarkson, co-founder of Feevolution and your host today. So each week on this show we speak to a range of entrepreneurs and investors who are passionate about creating positive plant-powered change in the world. This week I'm joined by eco-fabulous entrepreneur Lisette Kreischer, co-founder of the Dutch Weed Burger and author of 10 books on plant-based diet and herbal medicine. In this episode, we're going to be exploring how Lisette co-created one of the Netherlands' most iconic vegan brands, the Dutch Weed Burger. The role that the TV show Sex and the City played in sparking her entrepreneurial journey. The importance of creativity and entrepreneurship. We also talk about her upcoming book, Dog Eat Plant, and the rise of plant-based pet food. Before we get into this episode, please remember to share the podcast if you're enjoying it with friends, family, it could be anyone who's interested in a future full of plant-based businesses. So if you do, just tag us at plant-based business and at Vevolution underscore. See you in there. Lisette, how are you? Hi, I'm very Hi. good. Thank you for having me on the podcast. You're more than welcome. And, and where, where, where are you today? Where are we talking from? I'm uh, talking from my home in Amsterdam, near the city center. So far away from where you're at. <laughs> and recently I, I came across um, your bio. I think you sent it to me um, for something we were talking about. And it said living an eco-fabulous life in Amsterdam. I absolutely love that. Thank you. Well, I try to. I try to live an eco-fabulous life in the city center. It's a challenge, actually. But we rebuild or we try to rebuild our house um, sustainably, most sustainably with natural materials, vegan, of course. And so I call it a little tree house, just a little tree house somewhere in Amsterdam. So you're very much, I would say, an eco-fabulous entrepreneur. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, the Ecofabulous was really a part of this whole veggie and pumps lifestyle that I started uh, somewhere in 2006. And I was this young girl and I was enjoying my city life with my bottle of red organic vegan wine and living on heels and just normal like everyone else. But there was one difference and I was a radical vegan activist and I really wanted to combine the two because I had a feeling many more ladies were like me, but maybe had the feeling that if they would become vegan or something like that, that they would have to give up something they love or enjoy. So I wanted to show them you don't have to give up anything. You just can be a a, a carry from Sex and the City because at that point it was on television all the time and we were all watching it. Um, so I thought, well, we can be Carrie of Sex in the City. We put on our vegan pumps and we go into the world eco-fabulous. So this is how it actually started. But I'm not wearing pumps anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they somewhere down the line, I got lost. They got lost. And now I'm wearing very good shoes to support <laughs> my body and back <laughs> in the 15 years. <laughs> Getting old. Um, so it's still, it's still a lifestyle in my heart, but maybe I don't look like it anymore. Try to. Oh, Judy also loved, uh, Sex and the City, so you're not alone. (laughs) I think it was this, this time when things were changing and new things were happening in the green area. The, it was the Inconvenient Truth, uh, the movie, which 
a game changer indeed. And, and that was my cue to go out there. And because we were watching Sex and the City, it was just this styling yumminess. And it was my food actually to start, to start my whole journey. And so food was your kind of um, gateway into entrepreneurship? It was because there was this episode that Carrie was sitting on the bench before Magnolia Bakery in New York City. And she put her teeth in this cupcake, which was really like this sugary glaze that you think your teeth are going to break. But there was something about the cupcake. And I thought, wow, if I can just get that kind of look and feel and taste and I just... I'm going to do it. I'm going to make vegan cupcakes. I don't care. I will make it work. And that was actually the start of the whole journey. Okay. What was your, what was your cupcake business called? It was called Rosie and the Cupcake Factory. Brilliant. <laughs> it was just all cute. And I made everything handmade and was really grassroots from, from the ground up. And I don't, didn't have any money. So this is lesson number one in the, in the, plant-based business podcast I didn't have any money but I had a big belief that this could contribute to a changing world and something that needed to change and open up the veggie world actually yeah and and so how did you go about selling them were you making them in your kitchen and just cycling around Amsterdam going oh do you want some vegan cupcakes well actually like that so I lived at my dad at that point because I had or the chance to move out and start my life as a young woman, or stay with him, have lower costs, and just start my business. Mm -hmm. And for me, it wasn't a matter of, do I want to become an entrepreneur? Do I have like crazy zillion amazing ideas? No, it was just, I don't know what else to do. I want to contribute to a vegan world. I don't want to work for companies that don't make my heart sing. So I just, I'm starting and there was Magnolia Bakery, cupcakes. And I said to my dad, can I use your like a shed to uh, make a bakery? And we did it. He's a little business um, building person. So he transformed his shed to a little bakery and I just started. And um, the first customers I had were from the vegan society. Hopefully uh, they enjoyed it and they gave, gave me feedback. And I started and I I asked if there were markets around, can I stand on a market and sell the cupcakes? And this is how I became an entrepreneur, because if you start selling food, you need to have licenses and you need to register. And it's like, oh, okay, oh, oh, I have to do all these things. I thought it was just going to sell food. Nope. So (laughs) it, it, it came backwards, like it just did it. And then it cost money. I had to sell more. I invested it. Oh, I need to have this license. Okay, we'll do it. And the ball kept on rolling. And what happens with that? Where does that lead you to? So when I was doing that, of course, it started to get bigger. Um, More cupcakes. People started to notice me. It wasn't the time of the Instagram and the Facebook. So it was like flyers and you stood on markets and you're like, here I am, here I am, just shouting away. And people started to notice. Some PR was there. And then there was this first big offering I got from a really big chain of, of like, yeah, shops in the Netherlands. And they uh, offered me, um, do you want to sell your cupcakes in our shop? Uh, we buy it from you and we maybe make it vegan, but maybe we have to put in an egg. <laughs> so 
And then I was around maybe 24, I don't know, but I was 24 and naive, but not that naive. So to me, that wasn't a good deal at all. And I thought if they can do it, I can do it better. So I just went on uh, the journey, sold cupcakes even more, but there was this, like, it couldn't grow any further in the way I was doing it. One point that mostly women were buying it. And I believe, of course, we all believe here that veganism is not a woman thing. It's an all human thing we have to look at. So how do I get those guys on my market uh, stall? How do I get to let them buy good vegan food? Well, it wasn't with cupcakes. I tell you that. Uh, it was like the man behind the woman just waiting for her to stop chatting with me. Like, can we go home now, honey? I'm tired. <laughs> like, okay, how am I going to do this? And then we have not talked about this, but the books I've written were like a threat throughout the whole business. When I wrote a book, it was mostly because I was in a transition into something new. And at some point, the Sea First Foundation, which is a foundation who really uh, tries to, um, well, educate people on not eating fish, on the restoration of the ocean. And the, 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 the director came to me, he said, I want to make a book about not eating fish and about letting the ocean restore, about the sentient beings fish are. We need to put a spotlight on these animals and this immense ecosystem we need to care for. And then we got the idea, well, then we have to make the same dishes everyone always eat with fish in it, but we have to transform them from the inside out. So veganize it. And, and if you talk about fish and you want the same flavor in that food, you need to look at umami and, um, and the fishy, like fishy quality of it, of something. But how do the fish get their flavor? Flavor, I find it really weird to say that an animal has a flavor because it does not ring well to me. It's because they eat seaweed. And then there, a whole new journey just started happening, uh, discovering seaweed as a source of omega-3 and plant-based, uh, all kinds of nutrients and king of umami. So uh, I started to experiment with seaweed, stand on a market somewhere in Rotterdam, the Netherlands, ask people instead of the cupcakes, I had something with seaweed and I tried to offer them this food. And the funny thing was, I thought, the, cup, the cupcakes they will like. Seaweed, they probably don't like. They think jelly, creepy stuff in my toes when I swim. No, 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 not on my, not on my plate. <laughs> but the funny thing was, these people started lining up. Men, women, young, old, just, oh, I want to have a try. I want to have a try. This, oh, this, this, sounds, this sounds weird, but I'd like to try it anyway. I, I've never tried it before. I've seen it lying on the beach. Can I eat it? Oh, and they started to eat it liked it and for me that was like boom okay now I have the women and the men and young and old with seaweed this is so weird never thought about it <laughs> it's like okay gonna do a seaweed business so it's a little bit where the wind blows um, and where it's working that I will go because if something does doesn't work yeah why keep hanging on to it yeah so that's actually a really interesting um attitude though the ability to let go as an entrepreneur because it's so easy to cling on too long it's like that relationship you know you want to end but you can't end it 
And I think all entrepreneurs have been guilty of that at some point. So, so you had to cut the the cupcakes when I did, and uh, it was um, like I think about twelve years ago that it slowly started it. So the letting go process, but on in the styling academy, uh, on the styling academy, you learn to kill your darlings. That's the first thing you learn, like kill it, kill it, kill it. So it was this beautiful symbolic thing uh, throughout my journey. I have to kill my darlings. I have to learn to let go so something else can evolve. So there is space for something new, like the meat industry has to die. So the plant-based industry can evolve. It's just how it is. And uh, if we learn to be strong in our center, but flexible in our actions, I think we become more happy beings. Um, We create beautiful things. So for me, it was the letting go of the oven and the flour and the, the, well, all the things cupcake related and really started to take in a grill pan and experiment with this seaweed, which was really weird, but it worked and people liked it. And I started to do some recipes and one thing came to another suddenly, and now this is the big loop. We had a Dutch wheat burger. (laughs) (laughs) Just suddenly, no, of course not suddenly, but this was how I, I had to let go of the sweet cupcakes, the pink, the the veggie and palms, the eco-fabulous lifestyle, because that was all me. And this is, I think, the, the painful part in letting go is that you have a feeling that you have to let go of something that is you, but it wasn't you, it was an expression of you, and you will stay there all the time. Um so I had to let it go and let it go. And then uh, I could start the Dutch wheat burger business. And and so the Dutch wheat burger, when did this, when did this all happen? When did you make the, the seaweed transition? So this slowly started from 2009 when I started to experiment with seaweed. Then about 2011, uh, a, a very good friend of mine, Mark, he was an animal rights activist, but also a journalist. And he heard my story about the power of seaweed and that seaweed could be like this new next best best, best thing in the plant-based food choices. So you have the nuts, the grains, the fruits, the veggies, you know it, the seeds. Now you have the seaweed, you have your omega-3, you have all those proteins and you have umami. And if there's something uh, at that point, not anymore, but at that point, like um, uh, 10 years ago, You ate plant-based food and you were like, oh, yeah, this is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yay for the the plant-based. Woo. But it wasn't like, oh, yeah, it rocks my taste buds. Woo. You juicy something. That's the umami. And there was seaweed. So he tasted some of my food. We made a little hand hand burger just with beans and smoked paprika powder. It all matches very well. And he said, Lisette, we need to make... A documentary. We need to make a movie about the future of our foods and how seaweed is like this golden opportunity. So we made a documentary and it was called The Dutch Wheat Burger because we went to New York City where I was inspired with Magnolia Bakery. But now we went on a journey. I had Dutch seaweed in my pocket and we were making fun, uh, like jokes, like, oh, Lisette will get arrested on the street for selling weed in New York City, girl from Amsterdam. So we had all these this jokes in our head, how are we gonna make this documentary? 
there we had to make it so because we had a little bit of money from some investors we had to do something and we were um we thought well let's just um uh, interview all these wonderful chefs who are there who are already vegan cooking with umami cooking with seaweed they will know what to do <laughs> so <laughs> it was actually our uh, journey as an entrepreneur to learn what to do with seaweed it's just another way around of writing your business paper so well the one said you need to make ice cream the other one said you need to put it in a hot dog or make a pizza and then there were two who said you need to make a hamburger because what is more this symbol of capitalism and how you're gonna lure in all those meat eaters is with a burger and we were like do we need to make a burger hmm, we're just we just want to make this documentary and then we found uh, Cinnamon Snail, who is this catering uh, business in New York, who wanted to make a Dutch wheat burger for us because we thought we need to find a vendor who can put it in a burger because they said so. So can someone do it? And we found someone, uh, Cinnamon Snail, and they, at one day on a Friday afternoon, they made Dutch wheat burger. And we were just handing out free Dutch wheat burgers on the streets on in New York. And the people... Passing by, tasting it, saying, oh, wow, is this not meat? Is this not meat? Are you kidding me? I love it. Wow. We all, these noises that you want to hear when you make food. Um, so we knew we had to go back and start a business and start the Dutch Wheat Burger. What I love about this story is that it almost was an accidental business. It was a passion for like, you know, flavor and food and you know, making this documentary and it was kind of a circular route to come into, to creating the company that obviously has gone on to be, to be a big success. So, and where, so when you start the actual company, what year are we in now? 2012? It's 2012. We started, or Mark and I started the company and in mm -hmm. 2013, we came an official company. We had an angel investor flown in from Canada who was flying to Curacao and at one point, 10 minutes, we had an elevator pitch somewhere in the central station of Amsterdam. <laughs> and we said, we need this money. Oh, no, sorry, we need double. And we just, we got it. And to this day, he's still like this trustworthy person that we can go to uh, if we are in trouble because of course we are in trouble we are always in trouble so uh it yeah it was just a roller coaster but uh it still is it all is because how can you market something that is so precious and so honest and so pure the vegan message how how do you how do you do that that's still a question yeah. i have these days you know, I, I think me and you come from quite a similar kind of background. You know, I was um, involved in environmental movement. I was part of a group called Climate Rush. We did some cool activism 10 years ago, really, in, around London. Um, and I was very much looking at sustainability through food. And that's what led me to come in a vegan, you know, in 2013. But I was vegetarian before that. But I was, you know, I was, I was, doing zero waste, you know, back in 2011, I was trying, I was trying to find a way to have a positive impact on the planet. And I felt really unca uncomfortable about capitalism at that time. You know, and I wrote a lot of articles about it. And I, I thought about it a lot. And I think, for me, what happened, it may be for you as well, is that 
the radical kind of um, ideology and the, the drive to make change, it was the realization that, you know, business was going to be the vehicle for that change. But trying to change the way we do business from the inside and, you know, and I think that's what you're talking about. That's another layer on top of it. So you have the business you need to figure out and do and do well. And then you have this whole, oh, and we want to transform the whole capital, capital industry. Like how, how, we, how we buy in our products and how they're packaged. And, oh, but we don't have any money. Oh, but we want new packaging because that's more important to us. How are we going to do that? And our product is already so expensive. So these are, and then you get this comments of people, your product is so expensive. Yes, we know. <laughs> it's like, we know we're, we're fighting all these industries with our own little industry. Mm-hmm. And then you want seaweed. Well, that's a whole story on its own. Because when we started uh, working with seaweed, there was um, a Dutch little seaweed farm. It's now, it, it's now big, but then it was little. And we were little, so we could grew, grow together. But at some point, maybe one of the two, maybe we grow faster. Where are you going to get your seaweed then? Do you stop selling your product? Or do you find new businesses selling that seaweed, but no one was as sustainable as they were. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do? Are you going to do the wild harvest? No, we didn't want to do the har- wild harvest. So these were all these things. Like you want to be radical. I kept radical all the time. And you want to be pure and nice and kind and then make money because you want to grow. And yeah, I, fi- I, haven't, I haven't found the answer yet. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know if there ever will be the perfect answer. I think business is a set of compromises you have to make, but you've got to make enough of the good choices. You know, you've got to make sure that overall that feeling you have at the end of the day is that you're having a positive mark, a positive impact. But it's a constant challenge, you know, and like anyone listening to this and scaling a new venture will be coming up against those challenges, you know, especially things like packaging, your ingredient sourcing, you know, like how do you, how do you make the right ones that fit with your values? And I think it's about having that, I guess, that guiding North Star, that light, which we're all looking to and know why we're doing this. Without without it, you know, you make too many bad decisions. Mark, my companion, um, he always says we have low money, but high, uh, like, moral values. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. thanks. I really like that though. It's true. I it's really it's true. We, we wouldn't want to do anything else. What would we do? Yeah. We have so much time on our hands. I'm, I'm living a privileged life. How I'm gonna, how I'm gonna put that in this world. What I'm gonna do with my time. Well, these kinds of things, do what you do best and go where it flows and try to let go sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so you, you, the company starts officially you're selling a lot of products you're growing how are you going about selling these products i already had people knowing me with the cupcakes and now they're seeing me changing this oven into a grill pan for a burger like lisette what are you doing this is fast food what are what is this wheat burger so they were asking and then they thought well this is a good product i want a vegan burger on my menu uh can i put the vegan burger on on the menu and We had a little bun, we had a little patty, and we had a sauce. So all vegan, all with seaweed or algae. That that is the whole Dutch wheat burger. 
we had to figure out how we were going to send our Dutch wheat burger to a restaurant. So we had the first restaurant. How are we going to do that by mail? Oh, but it will defrost. How are we going to do it with frost? And then one way, one story after another, we learn. So we learn it didn't work via mail. We had to find a distrib distributor. And now fast forward, we have those things. We have a company who makes our burgers because we did it by hand. We have did it a long, long time by hand. But then the burger was yummy, but it was such an expensive burger. And we already had that against us. Like meat is of course so much cheaper. And we had this high value quality seaweed in the product. So we had to stop doing it by hand. And then you get the people, it's not handmade anymore. No, we know, but we need to do something. And we found a wonderful uh, yeah, little fabric, or how do you say it, little um, factory. factory, sorry. <laughs> it's in, in Dutch, it's fabric. It sounds nice, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, factory. And he started making it, and the company changed. It changed. It went from handmade to produced in an industry, in a closed surrounding where it's mm. all hyg hygienic, which was amazing because we could safely just sell our, our burgers. But it also changed something of the values I find important, the contact with the food, the interaction with the food. So there came a little more of distance between me and my own product, mm -hmm. which I really had to learn to let go again, that, that it was okay. And um, then we started hiring people and um, there was a manager and then a new manager and then other people. And we sold the Dutch wheat burger to at this point at a few hundred restaurants um, because from one it grew to many and we sold the wheat burger on many festivals also internationally as you know and the documentary went viral um, in 2012 and now we're on this crossroad like we we've done this for so long and we've tried to really live um, or get a little bit of money out of it so we can live because we at this point none of us were getting paid of course so I don't know how that we I don't know how we did it but we did it anyway because we believed in the story and money wasn't important until it became important because it was it was uh, like going bankrupt or making new decisions so um, fast forward again we now are on this crossroad of going into the retail, into the supermarket. And that will mean letting go of the bun, letting go of the sauce, becoming this patty between all the other patties, the Beyond Meat burgers. And again, just, ah, there goes my product, but it's not <laughs> mine anyway. So yeah, it's just letting go, letting go, letting go all the time. And and so you, you have so much else going on. Like, so how, how much are you involved with Dutch Weedburger now? Yeah, so at, at some point there comes maybe for many entrepreneurs this moment that you feel, this was my baby. I, you know, I, plant, I made a good soil. I planted the seeds. It started to grow, but now it's getting so big. I don't know how to maintain it anymore. I need help. And mm. the help came, but with the help also this change of dynamics, um, all this pressure, and also just knowing how to do business well. And 
I was a stylist and an activist, not per se a good business person. So I, at some point, I started tingling in me, like, is this the moment moment that I have really have to let go, like also let go of the company and make space again for something else to thrive? Because I wasn't thriving at my best and other people weren't also. So slowly I took my steps back and went um, more as like the co-founder who is engaged, but on a very relaxed level. <laughs> And have a bit of shares and I'm very happy with that choice because now other good people, smart people can run this business. And I'm so proud and grateful that I took that step back because otherwise I would have been burned up and the company maybe as well because I would probably have made bad choices. And, and so as you mentioned when you're kind of building up to a new thing you, you went and wrote some more books right yeah. So, yeah so during the whole period I've now been talking about I think every year I wrote a new book about every year and um, it was always a book that reflected what was needed I think I, I'm not sure but um, reflected what was needed in the world in regards to veganism. So in the first book was Veggie and Pumps. So it was an eco-fabulous lifestyle book. Look how amazing this vegan lifestyle is, woo! And then there was the first cookbook showing people, look, no, you don't have to miss out on anything. It's wonderful, just live with the seasons, live free and happy and eat plants. It was very simple. And then people started asking me, but I have a birthday coming up. I need to bake a pie. Okay, so we're going to make a vegan baking book. Fine. Then the men started knocking on my door. Well, all fine, all these pies, but I want good man food. Her. So, okay, I started to make the man food. And this is how it went. And then the seaweed, and we made seaweed books about seaweed. And yeah, and now there is another story that is... Uh... Yes, let's talk about that story. So you have, you have a new book coming out called Dog Eat Plant. And it's about plant-based dog food. So this is something both Judy and I are extremely excited about because we recently read um, The Clean Pet Food Revolution by Alice Sava and Ryan Brevencourt, Ernie Ward, the guys at Wild Earth. And, you know, it's an industry we're like hugely interested in. So tell us tell us about it. What motivated you to write this book? Well, again, it was it is seeing what is needed the most right now in telling the story because all storytelling, you know, we know plant-based food is good because but we need to change people's stories, what they believe in. We've been so indoctrinated by what we think is normal that we have to change the normal. New visions, new stories, new how we articulate our our, our language, everything. And I had the little dog. Of, I've now Mr. Pooh. Mr. Pooh has been with me for about uh, 12 years. And when I when he crossed my path, um, I just, you know, intuitively put him on a vegan diet. I was like, no, no, no. I'm not going to have a dog in my home and give him meat because somewhere in my intuition, I knew they could eat both. And I was mm -hmm. like, I'm going to trust that. I'm going to do the plant food. And he... He lived, he was happy, he ate the little vegan stuff food. I, I don't know even know what it was, but it wasn't good. I, I didn't like it at all, how it looked. And so at some point he, he started to get ill. And now I was like, I don't think it's the vegan food, but I do think it's the quality and the, like the texture of the food. 
So I started cooking with seaweed because I knew of the seaweed. I had the herbal medicine in my back pocket. So I integrated herbs, started to cook home-cooked food. And lo and behold, Mr. Pooh started to get better again. And I saw this time and time again. If he was not quite doing well, it was always a reflection of something I was doing. I was feeding him or stress in my life. So now I was totally relaxed because the wheat burger, I had shares, I was co-founder, but I didn't, I didn't have to work there. I could experiment with the plant-based food for him. He was liking it. And yeah, I just knew I have to write about this. I have to tell people because they still believe that dogs are wolves running around needing to, you know, hunt a cow and butcher it down no yeah i'm seeing my little dog poo who's just sitting on my lap the whole day loving the sunshine doesn't want to go out hates grass loves the pavement and this was the start to think about writing a book and then of course ernie ward wild pet wild earth and all of dr pitcairn who has been a veterinarian for 40 years and at some point said we're not going to do raw meat anymore we're going to give our dogs vegan food, plant-based food. I think we need to say plant-based food. It's better to say than yeah. vegan food. Yeah. And um, he, he, he transformed having this huge fan base and just, he became vegan. And all these other veterinarians around the world who are just standing up or scientists are standing up and saying, what are we talking about? Dogs aren't wolves anymore. They have adapted. They can eat both. And they thrive on plant-based food. It's good for the environment. Look, here are the numbers. It, we bring down animal suffering. We, their bodies love the food. They're getting healthier. Why not do it? So this was the start of the book. <laughs> Why not it's, do it? It sounds incredible. You know, reading um, Alice and Ryan's book, you know, it's, it's incredible, the environmental footprint of our pets, right? You think about it, they eat meat. And fish all the time. I, I'm, I just can't wait for this. I think it's, it, you know, from an entrepreneurial perspective, it's definitely ready to be disrupted. And, you know, I think there's lots of good people out there doing that. And I think it's really, really exciting. So so when 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 can we expect to see the book? When's it coming of, out? On the 4th of October. And of course, it will be first in Dutch. But um, my international agent is so enthusiastic. This is the funny thing. When I talk to people about this, they started to they start to smile. Like, of course, this needs to happen too. And these aren't per se vegan people. These are just people who are a little bit in tune with what is happening in the world. And they're like, yeah, yeah, this is a good story. So so far, we have been quite um, happy with all the responses. And the fourth of o- October, World Animal Day, I believe everywhere uh, will will yeah, it will be launched. Great. Can you do an audio version in English <laughs> for me and Judy? With how I talk? Yeah, exactly. With, with you guys. <laughs> I would. I would love so. Yeah. That's super exciting. I'm especially excited for when the English version arrives because I will be reading it instantly. <laughs> Being inclusive is something like we're super passionate about at Fibolusha. I know it's something that's really a big, a big thing for you. You know, how do we build a plant-based vegan movement that is um, for everyone, you know, and, you know, as a, as, as a business as well as businesses, how do we encourage more both female entrepreneurs and founders of color to create businesses and feel like they can, 
can be a part of this this journey you know to change the world have you got any thoughts about this like and what has been your experience as a female entrepreneur yeah well it is on my mind and in my heart every day and i have not figured out the right thing to do or how to change this but i do know i want to and where I go, I try to transform things, but I do see some things are just icky and sticky and ugh, and it's sometimes so hard. Also, you hear everyone say, of course, that feminism is everywhere and, well, women are equal as men, but in fact, it isn't. It's just, it is not. I know because I'm the lady in the business and I've experienced so many times in the little things, it's in the little things. And I think this is what we're now talking about with constitutional racism, of, of course, is that it's in the in the deep, in the, the dark places of society where we don't see it and where we think it's not there and we are all fine and we don't need to talk about it. And it's the same with women. This is the only thing I can talk about because this is what I've experienced. And it's, I just, it is hard because you, you're expected to work 10 times harder, but I'm an intuitive, creative person. I cannot do it at that rate. It will burn me up. So I've, I'm still figuring out how to work in a bigger company with, with men and women and just be me and ha- that other people have faith in what I do. And not because I'm a woman, not because I'm a man, but I, I'm still, I see that, well... I don't know how to say it, but I've experienced a lot that that I feel that I'm a woman and I'm, that, that I'm less valued. That makes total sense. What kind of things like do you think we should be looking out for? Because, you know, I'm like, I'm a man, I'm white, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously, I'm trying to be part of the positive change just from my experience. So what kind of things do you, have you experienced? Small things. Small I things. only know the small things are the toughest ones because they're so almost not visible and those are almost not visible because they're in the faces of people they're in the eyebrow or in the hmm, you know how the sound is or a little little very little joke that almost nobody hears but it's being said and those are the things or like (laughs) yeah and then make a really bad joke and then everyone is like what what did you say but he said it he said it so First of all, we need to just shut our mouths at that point or talk to uh, talk, talk to the one who's doing it. But also, and this is the same for me when it comes to racism, investigate me, myself, and where I judge. I judge all the time on so many levels. And it's this big inner world I'm discovering of all these preconceptions and ideas about life and this is for men, this is for women, this is for everyone to do for themselves. And I think the little things are a part of that deep, integrated idea about who you are. And if we challenge who we think we are, we can break it down and maybe come to a point that we realize it's all fake and we're all equal and there's no black, white, right, wrong. Um, but we need to address it when we go. And does it make sense? I'm trying to express myself in English. It makes a lot of sense. Really, it's about being mindful, isn't it? And that, you know, having always having that front and centre of the conversations we're having. And, so, you know, something Judy often say is, um, 
you know, she'll say something earlier in a conversation, then later on a man will say the same thing back and kind of repackage it, you know, as um, as their idea. And this is something that she says always happens, you know. And, and you know, I'm guilty of doing that as well, I'm sure. Probably the most, the most guilty considering she speaks to me most of the day. You know, um, but it's about having that, being aware, you know, these kind of little things exist in the shadows, as I guess you're sort yeah, of saying. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's, it's also when, as a man, you're trying to help, maybe, but you're not helping. Like, no, you don't have to, um, like, lift this thing up because I can lift it up. You don't have to open the door. One of the things I don't like also is that men can shake hands. So with Corona, it was amazing because I did not have to do anything anymore. But as a woman, you have to kiss. But I don't want to kiss. I don't want to kiss everybody. Maybe a hug or something, but just, oh, I want to give a hand as well. But why do I need to be like awkward and lift my head right to left and it's always awkward i've never thought about that before i've literally never thought about this those little things like i've never thought that you know i would meet bob and i'd shake bob's hand but i'd, I'd see you and i'd go in for a hug you know a kiss it's like it's like those little things that you know i think just aren't on people's agenda but you know as men you know i guess like we need to be more aware of that as well and it's about i think only in having these conversations can we learn and and so now this is the quick fire question round. We do this with everyone. It's not you don't get graded. So <laughs> there's no need to be nervous. Firstly, why do you get up in the morning? For veganism, for other Great. animals. And um, what problems are you trying to solve with your business? All problems related to suffering and climate problems. <laughs> what are the top? free books or podcasts you recommend to entrepreneurs it doesn't have to be just podcasts or just books it could be a mix um, i'm ooh, well uh, i love the rich roll podcast all of it everyone i love your podcast Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and i'm a terrible book reader so this is putting me on the spot and i'm i'm blank yeah <laughs> um yeah big up to rich roll and and julie as well they've been really pioneering the way in terms of helping people realize you can live eco-friendly healthy um fully fulfilled lives and good people so i have a book i have a book go on um it's the fourth edition of dr richard pitcairn's natural health for dog and cats i believe and it's the fourth edition because the previous three were about meat and he's changed his lifestyle he made a fourth edition and it became this big holistic handbook for the dog and cat focused on plant-based food Amazing. So what do you know now that you wish you knew when you started out in business? I know now that I can actually do things and that I can trust my intuition. And that's, I think, the biggest thing to listen to that little voice, that little kind voice who always knows best. Um, I know now how to listen to her. I think I think so. But I didn't know then. And it would, would have saved me a lot of trouble. Amazing. So what's been the biggest challenge you've had to overcome so far on your entrepreneurial journey? Um, good one. I think finding the balance between being an activist, wanting to do stuff quickly, efficiently, also knowing that setting up a business is a way to go there, is a way to be an activist and really have big impact, but also maintaining that business and making it sustainable and healthy for everyone who works in it. I think that's has been the biggest challenge and I've not figured it out. 
it's always a work in progress <laughs> and and so lastly what do you do to keep yourself sane oh thank you i love that question i do qigong um i do yoga i do meditation and i just i'm really slowing down so if i want to step up and be stressed i immediately do the extra slowing down like a counter effect and it feels weird because i want to like oh i have so much to do and i it's like no 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 and i slow down and i have to calm down and it it works for me that's really nice i think all of us take a deep breath right now slow down slow down guys it's really important we do that as entrepreneurs because we can all run a million miles an hour so um that's a nice note to end on um so Lisette where can people connect with you how can they get in touch with you where can they order your books um where can they do all these these things well many books are still in Dutch unfortunately um still if if anyone listens and is a publisher please please English books, I want to write them. Um, they can, I think Instagram is best. So it's Lisette Kreischer. And I don't know how I have to spell it out, but you will find me. You're one of the top Lisettes. <laughs> Do something with K and R yeah. and you'll be fine. <laughs> Look, fantastic to have you on the podcast. And yeah, and well done on all your successes so far. Well um, done you. Thank you so much. I feel honored. Hi, Plantpreneurs. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Plant-Based Business Podcast. It was produced by Feevolution, and this series is hosted by myself, Damien Clarkson, and my co-host, Judy Nadell. Before we go today, I have a quick favour to ask. At Feevolution, we believe in the power of business to positively impact the planet. This is why we created the podcast, to help accelerate the good work you're all doing in making the world a better place. But we need your support to keep this community going. We've created a new plant-based business community over on Patreon. For just a few pounds a month, you can support the show and growing and helping us to shine a light on the plant-based businesses changing the world. So please head on over to www.patreon.com slash plant-based business and show your support for this podcast and the free content we create. Also, please remember to share this episode in your favorite social network. I can't tell you how much things like reviews and social shares help us and ambitions to tell the world about the growth of the plant-powered business movement. You can find us on Instagram at plantbasedbusiness underscore and at feevolution underscore. Okay, keep safe and we'll see you all again soon.